0: Welcome to the Spring 4th Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for August 9th, 2020, the 10th Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. morning. It is a joy to receive you here today as we gather for worship, 10th Sunday of Pentecost. Let us receive the call to worship that comes to us from Psalm 105, verses 1 through 6. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call on God's name. Make known God's deeds among the peoples. Sing to God. Sing praises. God's glory in the holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and God's strength. Sink God's presence continually. Remember the works of the Lord that he has done, and the miracles and the judgments that the Lord has uttered. O offspring and servants of Abraham, children of Jacob, the Lord's chosen ones. Let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, we pray the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who cannot exist without you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. This last week at our council meeting, it was suggested that we should solicit from those of you who are interested and and willing to provide such narratives uh, stories from our members and our larger sort of constituency with regards to how you are dealing with covid Uh, not you know like personal experience unless of course you've had that personal experience we don't wish that on you but how you have been dealing and managing your life in light of what's going on in the world if you have narratives that you would like to share with us, you can email those in or send them to us somehow, and we can, we can get those, those shared. It's a way of us to kind of check in with the greater congregation, find out how each one of us is, is coping. And perhaps maybe we could take some wisdom from people's coping techniques and incorporate it into our own life. It is good to see all of you here. It, it almost—it uh, will never feel like the old days. Let's just uh, dispel with, with that myth. But when we are together, it does feel we feel connected. And feeling connected is certainly something that we could benefit from as a, as a church family. We have newlyweds in the back. Some of you may not have known that, but Marlon and, and Bridget there. Hey, they've only been waiting like, about a couple weeks now. <laughs> None of us could talk them out of it. We tried, though. But I, I, I say that and to mention that because uh, Marlon is once again undergoing treatment and prayers. He needs our prayers. And so Marlon, thank you, Bridget, for being here today. I know what you have shared with me, and if others want to to hear more from your story, please visit with them. It's it's pretty intense, and there's some stuff, you know. Definitely, as as Marlon continues to plan his his future treatment plan and consultations. What he needs from us, what they need from us right now, is the, is the, the power of their community. They need the power of their, of their prayerful community. That is something that Marlon has come to, and that we've all come to rely on, is that when we say we are going to offer our prayers, we do that. When we say we are going to meet others, individuals, right where they're at, we do that. And so at this time of transition for Marlon, as he gets more news on his health and begins to, to plan the right treatment for moving forward, what he needs from his church is that we would be there with our prayers, with our support, with our encouragement. So you've asked for them, Marlon, and you will have them. And, and I ask that you continue to uphold Marlon, Bridget, family in their prayers. But it doesn't stop there, friends. Those of you last week knew that a prayer chain went out for Angie Gurnett, who is still in hospital. Angie is hopefully discharged from ICU. As of yesterday, she was out of bed, taking her first steps, still dealing with pain. There's some situation that they're going into. I don't want to go into too much detail. It's, you think differently when you're recording services, so you have to be mindful of what you say. But. The Gurnett family, and Angie in particular, also need our prayers. Still a long way to go before they figure out exactly what they're dealing with with her. And so each day is crucial, each day for us to offer our prayers so they can focus on the matter at hand. This is what we do as a church. What we do as a church is, first of all, what's very important This is the sermon before the sermon. What's very important for us to remember is that when we are a church, it is our duty to inquire how the people are doing and how we might be able to pray for them we can never assume anything we can never take anything for granted we can never just assume because the person is is there and they they look well because they're out in public and they're running errands that everything must be fine we have no idea what's beneath the surface so i encourage all of you to be nosy to inquire To sincerely ask people, how can I pray for you? How might I serve you? Because you might be surprised at the responses that you get. Let's not wait until it's too late, and then we say, oh, I should have said some prayers for them, or I should have called on them, or et cetera, et cetera. No, just, just, just get your nose all up in their business and say what's going down, and how might we serve you. That's good church, and that's what I want us to be, good church. Okay, now... The gospel lesson. The gospel comes to us from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It's a continuation from the scripture that we had last week where Jesus was feeding the multitude. Now, he's coming off of that. The multitude has finally been fed. They're satiated. They're they're going home. Jesus sends his disciples on ahead of him. And then he goes to find that quiet prayer time, which he was seeking at the beginning of last week's text. Reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up by the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking to them on the sea But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy gospel. Let us pray. God, it is in trying times when we seek an audience with you. It is when our back is against the wall. It is when we find ourselves being buffeted by the storms of life that we cry out, Lord, save me. You ask us, as you asked Peter, why did you doubt We didn't think we were doubting. We attached ourselves to you. We claim to trust in you. But then somehow, we always manage to let the storms of life eclipse you from our vision. We lose our way, lose our bearings. We become afraid. And in that fear, we act rashly. Help us to be consistent in our faith, not that it will triumph over our fear, but that we will realize that our fear is a reminder of how much we need you and how much you provide such substance to our life. We thank you for this day, for the opportunity to worship, to be together in various forms. And so we ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would always be an offering to you that you would find pleasing. May you watch over us, and may you continue to consecrate us with your spirit, and help us to be your agents in the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's roll back a little bit and think about what was happening in the texts just last week. And then this is the continuation of that. Last week, we had Jesus who had just heard the news that his friend, the prophet John the Baptist, had been killed. And Jesus was shaken to his core by that because he was friends with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he considered to be one of the greatest prophets, the greatest prophet, because he proclaimed the way of the Messiah. John the Baptist had been killed through a machination at the highest level. And Jesus just needed to get his his mind right. You know, when you hear the news of someone who was important and crucial to you who has now been removed, who has now passed away, he just wants to tuck yourself off in a quiet space and pray and grieve and clear your head. But he didn't get that chance last week because the crowds followed him, the crowds knew about Jesus. They knew about his persona. They knew about his sort of electricity. And they came to him with all their needs and all their wants. And so he put off his own grief. He put off his own needs in order that he might attend to the people and the multitudes that were coming to him. So that experience left Jesus unable to attend to his own needs. Now, this might, this might sound alarming to us, to think that the Son of God would have needs that he needs to attend to. You would think that he could take care of his own grief with a wave of a hand or perhaps a powerful word. But he was human. He was human. And, and he needed time to grieve as well. But when the people came to him, he's like, I must attend to these people because I have compassion on them. He felt it at a core level that these individuals needed something only he could provide. So now that multitude has been fed, the loaves and the fish have been distributed. The people ate their fill. A generosity manifested. Jesus says, sends his disciples he says now you go on ahead you get in the boat and you you go on ahead i will catch up with you later nobody asks nobody asks jesus how will you catch up with us later that is a very important detail that matthew has in there that we just all seem to sort of gloss over when we read the text that jesus is sending his disciples ahead in the boat he dismisses the crowd you would assume that all the boats are just going to be gone how is jesus what's he planning on doing he planning on doing some stroking right It's like, we're going out into the sea, you said you're going to catch us up later. They just take him at his word. Nobody bothers to say, but Lord, you have no boat. How are you going to get there? That's how folks are, right? man tells us to go, we go. So Jesus goes up to the mountain, high up in the mountain, because he needs to get that much-needed prayer time that he didn't get before. And he goes up there, and he prays, and we don't know specifically what he prayed for, but he was up there for a fair amount of time. And while he was there, the disciples who were in the boat began to be overtaken by a storm. The winds kicked up. The waves got pretty severe. And they began to be afraid. It's at this time that Jesus decides to come down the mountain and begin to walk across the sea in order that he might rendezvous with those disciples that he has sent on ahead. Now let's, let's just picture this image for a moment. The disciples are in the boat. Four of them we know of were professional commercial fishermen. I think that those individuals would have seen a storm or two in their time. But somehow I think they're still so coming off of the miracle that just happened. I like to call it the miracle of generosity, the multitude sharing all their food in common and everyone eating their fill. But they're so coming off of that experience that they had become a little bit rusty, forgotten their sea legs. Or maybe this storm was greater than anything they had ever seen before. But somehow, together in that boat, being tossed about to and fro, they, their faith was waning. And now, couple that with the image of an individual, a, a specter that's approaching them on the sea. Right? This is sure enough to make most people crazy because you think, okay, I'm see- now I'm seeing things. You know, I'm sure enough going to die out here because now I think I see what looks like a, a-, a person walking towards us on the boat. And, and they panicked. I mean, Matthew tells us this. They panicked. They said it is a ghost. It is a ghost. Right? They don't recognize Jesus. That Jesus didn't tell them he could walk on water. He didn't give them any heads up. They didn't bother to ask how he was going to join them. So they see this image, it's, it's dark, it's windy, there's sea spray going all around, and they say it is a ghost. So naturally, Jesus has to call to them to calm them. Jesus is always speaking words of peace to those who are panicked, those who are terrified. That's something that we would do wise to repeat and to duplicate, that when we see one another's and we greet them, especially after long absences, we greet them with words of peace. Do not be terrified, it is I. You know me. You know? Don't, don't worry about portion of my face being obscured. You know me. Do not be afraid, I come in peace. Now, this is what's interesting. Jesus called out to his disciples, and he says, do not be frightened, it's me. Now, that should be good enough. They recognized his voice. They go, yes, this is the master's voice. But you got Peter, you see. And Peter is what I like to consider as sort of the upstart of the disciples. Even though James and John are considered the sons of thunder, we find Peter acting more impetuously throughout the gospels than any other character. And Peter's always the one who's willing to speak before he understands. Peter wants to make sense of the situations. Peter likes to push the envelope. Peter might remind us of ourselves at sometimes in our life when we're just so eager to be connected with something we don't count the costs we don't think about the odds we just want to get into it and so Peter says well if this is Jesus if it's really you he wants to test if it's really you Jesus then command me to come out on the water I don't know why Peter would even ask this I don't know why he would want this to be the test of his faith that's an odd thing to ask It's like I want to get out the boat and I want to walk to you Jesus is like alright son Come on then. You, you, you're so bad. Come on. Get out of that boat. Now at this time, if I were in the boat, I'd be one of those guys like latching myself onto Peter's thigh and saying, Don't go! It's a trick! You know, I'd be one of those guys like when you're a little kid and your parents are leaving, you hang onto their leg and they kind of drag you across the floor. And so I would say, Peter, just stay in the boat, okay? <laughs> we haven't capsized yet, be cool. But Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking, and he begins walking with confidence. That's what we need to know, is that Peter, with his, with his sight fixed upon the image of Jesus, he's walking with confidence. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. Peter begins to realize, I'm out of the boat. Of course you're out of the boat. You asked to get out of the boat. Now, so you, know, you, you wrote this script, Peter, so you are now out of the boat. And then he starts looking around, and he's like, you know what? I'm really out of the boat. And this wind is kicking up around me. And and he starts to see the waves. And he becomes absolutely acutely aware of his circumstance. And he begins to sink. Because we weren't meant to walk on water. So he begins to sink. And different images, different artists' images have depicted this scene from the Bible. And one of the things that. That we who read the text wrestle with is like how how quickly did he sink? Was it kind of one of them slow quicksand type thing that you see in the in the, in the cartoons? Was it one of them kind of you kind of easing down? You have time to kind of look around and go goodbye, you know? Or, or was it one of those like you know? I mean like like we're going we're going we're going in deep the way water usually traditionally receives us when we jump into it. I would like to think that it's it's the sort of the, it's the quick fall. The minute he looks around and sees the wind and the waves and the reality and the boat at just enough distance that he can't jump back into it and he, he starts going down quickly because his response is, Lord, save me. If you're going down slow, you're not like, hey, Jesus, give me your hand, you know, come on. So, no, I mean, Lord, save me. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking he's taking the plunge, right? He's doing an ST action. Ah. And he's going down. And he calls out, Lord, save me. And Jesus takes him by the hand. Now, this is what's beautiful about it. Not that Jesus saves him. I mean, because obviously that's what Jesus does. He saves. But it's, it's the warning. It's the warning that Jesus gives him. Why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now scholars have unpacked this text and given us this is all rich imagery in here that first of all the disciples in the boat represents the church, the collective, that we have the congregation that's in the boat representing the church in the world. The sea is you know is the the canvas of creation and then the storms are the hardships that we encounter in life. Now what Peter is trying to represent is a person who's trying to literally step out in faith a person who's trying to go from the confines of the faith community but trying to leave his imprint and trying to bear witness to the truth of God by heading out from the community on the basis and testimony of his faith to go into the world right because he he has his his heart and his mind fixated on Jesus, and when he has his heart and mind fixated on Jesus, he's like, I can accomplish great things because I know that my Redeemer lives. But what happens is, is that Peter, like a good many of us, Peter is not alone in this, but Peter allows the reality of what he considers to be the problem, the reality of the impediment, eclipse the vision of his salvation. So Peter allows the problem to take away and to blind him from what is his salvation. He looks at the wind. He sees the waves. He says, this problem is greater than me. And he is right. That problem is greater than him. But there's something that's even greater than the problem, and that's the person that he asked to call him out of the boat. Lord, if it's really you... Ask me to come out of this boat. Ask me to come out of this boat, and I will join you. If nothing else, to just prove to the rest of these individuals that we don't have to be afraid anymore. I mean, that's a a, a wonderful object lesson, and I really wish that Peter could have followed it through because it would have been a powerful testimony to the rest of the church, to the rest of the individuals who were in the boat and who were like quaking with fear and saying, don't do that, Peter. Don't do it. It's a trap. You're going to die, brother. We love you. Don't do this. You don't have to go out like this. But there's that sense in which Peter wants to, he wants to make an impact, he wants, as we all are called to do. When we leave the confines of the church, when we leave the confines of our worship, we are called to go out there and be a witness in the world. But the last thing we need to do in our witness is to allow the problems of the world to eclipse the power of our faith. And it happens at every turn. We set ourselves up and say, I'm going to get it right this time. I'm going to make all the right moves I'm going to connect with people, I'm going to pray, I'm going to support, and I'm going to encourage. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself unemployed, or you find yourself you know, back against the wall, behind on schedules, troublesome kids, all sorts of you know, unruly co-workers. And then all of a sudden, that problem and that concern takes precedent, and you forget about all these wonderful things that we wanted to do for God. And it's like, Lord, save us. I didn't plan correctly. I'm out of my depth. In Peter's case, I'm in my depth. So Jesus returns Peter to the boat. And he returns Peter to the boat with the very clear observation. It's like, I know, I know what you're trying to do. And I know what you want to do, Peter. I know that you want. to to make your way in the world on the basis of this testimony. I know that you want to be a powerful witness to those who will attach themselves to your person. I understand that, but you can't lose sight of me. If you lose sight of me, it will all come to naught. This is a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale for anybody who would dare to take on the mantle of faith, and in particular, to be a follower of Christ. To be a follower of Christ means means just that, we have to follow. If we do not follow, if we allow the world to convince us that the problems that we face are greater than the person who will deliver us from those, we will never be able to make a truly effective impact in this world. Storms are real. I mean, not only real weather storms, but storms and seasons of life and things that we have to confront. All of that stuff is real. And that that will never go away. But how we deal with it, how we adapt ourselves to deal with these things says everything about the measure and our capacity of faith. I learned from Peter because I have been Peter. I have been Peter. Early in my days as a minister, and especially being in the Los Angeles area, there is always somebody who is in need. There is always somebody sitting under a bridge or out in front of some storefront, or somebody who is, you want down and out people, you just walk around the streets of LA for about a half an hour, and you will see down and out. And I said to myself, he said, Uh, I'm going to be walking around these streets in a collar. I'm going to be an easy mark, so I'm going to have to get my game together. I said, I know what I'm going to offer them. This is a true story. I said, I know what I'm going to offer them. I said, I'm not going to give them any coin because that's too easy. I said, but I said, every down and out person who says, Pastor, can you help me? I said, yes, I will. I said, I'm going to get down on my knees. I said, I'm going to offer them a prayer of power because, you know, I was a little young prayer warrior, right, in my mid-20s. I was going to make it happen. I was going to make it happen. I said, "Yes, Lord, you have given me this opportunity." And I said, "And I'm,", I'm I, said, I said, "First person I see, they're going to get a prayer." Mm-hmm. Now I was coming out of Denny's. I was having lunch. I was coming. Yeah, this this is when Denny's still serves folks like me. Okay, so I was coming out of Denny's, and there was a guy sitting right outside. I said, pastor, pastor, can you help me? And I quick hustled up the pace and got to my car and drove back to church. Where where was that prayer, William? Where was that prayer you were gonna offer that man? You were all high fired up about the prayer you were gonna give to him. You were gonna transform his life with the word and you quick scuttled on home, back to the church. Where was that prayer? And I got back to the church and I was like, God's got my number. He knows I'm a fraud. I'm fraud from sunup to sundown. I'm like Peter. Lord, if it's really you, have me come out of this water because I'm going to show the rest of these clowns that we can do this. I'm going to teach them. All right? Come. Come. Come walk on that water. Come give the prayer to that first person that you see. Come do these things that you say you're going to do. And you get out there and you're like, well, if I start praying for him, he might have two or three around the corner. If I close my eyes, he could jump me. He could give me a smack. (laughs) Take my sandwich. God, that's life of faith, though. It's tricky that way, because we have such good intentions. We have such a desire to go out there and leave our imprint, and we start making a lot of empty promises to God. And this is Peter making an empty promise to God. Lord, I'm going to walk on the water like you, because if you can do it, I can do it. Jesus is like, you can try. But what Peter and William forgot was that we both took our eye off Jesus. We were talking a good line, both of us. Peter's desire to want to walk on water and my desire to want to offer prayers to the disenfranchised of Southern California. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds quite admirable, but when you take your your eyes and your visions off the one who can make such things possible, the one who can actually complete the transaction when you remove your sight from the one who can give you the courage to go and do these things that you think you should be doing, it doesn't happen. It ends up in bankruptcy, a bunch of broken promises, and good sermon material. So I pass that on to you because if you've had a Peter moment, or one, or two, or three, or four, or a dozen. If you've had those moments when you're like, this is it, man. I'm going mm-hmm, to be consistent. I'm, I'm going to make it to church every week. I'm going to give consistently. I'm going to pray. I'm going to, you know, the, the things that we tell ourselves. This is all Peter getting out of the boat. This is us, Peter, getting out of the boat. We have every intention of, of making an impact. But then we take our eyes off the goal. We take our eyes off the Son of God, and we, like him, sink. So what is the prevention against sinking? Well, first of all, it's when we tether ourselves to Christ, we tether ourselves with with no, without exception. Because we might be able to run a number on ourselves, and our friends, and our family. We might be able to talk a good talk and, and convince them that we really are somebody we aren't. But we're not going to pull one over on this guy. So what we need to do is to change the manner of our conduct in the public sphere and in the private sphere and say, you know what, Lord? It's just us talking. And I got to tell you, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Now, I would never admit that to the wife. And I don't want to admit that to the kids, because they already think I'm kind of an idiot anyway. But I, I just I really don't know as much as I'd like to. So here's the thing. I'm going to stay in the boat, and I'm going to let you show me the way. I'm going to let you take the helm, and you guide me safely to the other side. I'm not going to try to get impetuous. I'm not going to try to make any slick moves. I'm not going to try to impress anybody. I'm going to let you set the standard of how I can be a witness. And I'm going to learn from you because I know that if I fall down, if I get scuffed up, if I mess up again, if I lose my composure and I fall apart, that you will be there to pick me up. And that's the kind of relationship that I think we need to have with God is an honest relationship, is to be able to see through the ruse that we create, to see through the tricks and the games that we conjure up. To me... Peter had every intention of trying to make an impact, but the only impact he made was not the one that he wanted to make. He wanted to make the impact of accomplishment. He wanted to make the impact of, like, my faith is so strong I can do this. And really what he learned is that he's got to go back to formula. He's got some more practice to do. And that he thought he was going to impress Jesus and the disciples and failed on both accounts. Friends, there's no shame in this. There's no shame in us pretending to be more devout than we are, and then it comes crashing down. The difference is those of us who are willing to admit that we messed up, those of us who are willing to admit that we had set up something that we thought was going to be the be-all, end-all of faith example, and it all turned to ash. There's no shame in understanding that we are not the ones who save ourselves. No matter flash example, no matter how much we can rattle off scriptures, no matter how much we, we plant our butts in these hard pews and, and, and be the holiest ones, that at the end of the day, without the one who went to the cross, we don't amount to much. And that's a hard thing to hear because everyone's like, what you mean? I'm self-made. Eh, but, you know, apart from Jesus, we don't amount to much. want us to use this text, use Peter's example as a springboard to a new reality. No more games. No more saying things that might sound cool and sweet and attractive and seductive. No more of that stuff. The clock's ticking. We're only fooling ourselves. We're not fooling God. I say from this text right here that I, I, I thank Peter. I thank him. Because Peter is just as human as I am. Peter is just as confused and just as scared and just as lost as I am. Peter had good intentions like I had good intentions. Peter missed the mark like I missed the mark. Man, that's good company to keep. That's good company because Jesus didn't cast him out. He didn't say, as soon as we get to the other side, Peter, we part in company. Because that little stunt you pull out there, you got, you got guys here that are watching you. And I can't have that on my team. He didn't do that. He didn't cancel Peter's subscription and fire him and say, you need to go back to fishing. He said, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let's spend some more time together and maybe, maybe in time down, down the road, you'll understand what this is all about. So the competition and impress game, that's something that we humans create, but it really has no place in the life of faith. There are institutions, churches, pastors, authorities in the church who would like you to believe that it is a competition, but I I guarantee you it's not. I'm, I'm not at competition with any other house of worship, and neither should you be. Because I figure that we're all kind of on the same team here, and what we're trying to do is to get people, thank you Chris, and try to get people connected with the reality that because we are on the same team, there's no stored up conflict between me and the guy who goes to St. Mary's, or the person who's over at Living Faith, or over across at E-Free. There's no stored up conflict. We're batting for the same team. The question is, is do we keep our eyes on the one who breathes new life into our weary bodies? Because I don't want us to lose sight of that. I don't ever want us to lose sight of that mark. Because when we do, that's when we begin to sink. And what I wish for each and every one of us is the kind of ascension and uplift and buoyancy that a life of faith in Christ provides. Today, you'll leave worship today with a whole new spring in your step. Even if it is raining. Why? Because I, and, and, and Peter's example, that we have taken the burden off your shoulders. See, the world places this heavy burden on us. It's like, you've got to perform. You've got to make the right moves. You've got to have the right answers. You've got to be on point, on point. And you've got to have some cash to back it up. And the world is very inflexible when it comes to who's in and who's out. And that's a heavy burden for us to bear. It's a heavy burden if you're not a right provider if you're not the right parent, if you're not the right spouse, you know it's that stuff is burdensome. That stuff is, pulls you beneath the waves. It pulls you beneath the waves. But William Gentry, your friend, is telling you that right now Jesus lifts our burdens. He's not going to allow us to sink beneath the waves. And he's like, you don't need to try to impress me, because I am here to serve you. I'm here to teach you. I am here to instruct you. So if there has been, at any point in your life, any sense of competition, any sense of one-upmanship, or any sense of a kind of a tussle between two polarities in your faith, now is the time that you offer it to the altar. Just give it up and say, Lord, I have been in contention with my family, with my friends, with the world. Because I thought that the example that I was supposed to give was one of accomplishment at every point of the day. And you show me right now that it is not in my completion and it is not in my successes and achievements that I am drawn closer to you, but in my brokenness, in my inability. Because in my inability, then you have space to fill me. That's what we need to remember. So if you're out of the boat right now, that's OK. Jesus is going to get us back in the boat. But when we're in that boat, there's no, there's, no, there's no competition. There's just individuals who are trying, each point of the day, to draw a little bit closer to God without arrogance, without pride, and without this sense of competition, which keeps us at such a distance. So I thank Peter. I thank Peter for being impetuous. Reminds me of my younger self. And maybe you find yourself in him as well. But his ending's a good one. Lord picked him up, got him back in the home, gave him a little, little bit of chastisement, but didn't give up on him. And he won't give up on us either. Let us pray. Christ, we we thank you for this time of communion, not so much in particular the sacrament, but the fellowship. We thank you for those who are joining with us today from their homes. We ask that you would Bind us all together, wherever we may be, that we can feel the connection, even if it be at a distance. As we enter into this time of prayer, we lift up to you uh, two individuals, in particular, Marlon Detton and Angie Garnett. Lord, you are the great physician, the great healer, You bring answers to questions that we have not even posed. And you bring exactly the right mindset, the right framework, the tranquility that we need to accept situations that are serious and require attention. We have watched you deliver Marlin and Angie, respectively, in the past, as they have had health concerns. We have seen your goodness manifest in their lives and the lives of their family. We expect that you will continue to be gracious and merciful as we turn to you now on their behalf. Marlon currently undergoing treatment, a new plan. We ask, Lord, that you would guide his health care team, and that you would implant for both Marlon and Bridget the questions, the talking points that they need to put on the table so his treatment as we move forward will reflect their needs, their expectations, their intentions. Give them the boldness of speech so that they can be heard and served. Allow their faith to inform this entire journey as it has in the past. We pray for Marlon's entire well-being, both physical and emotional and spiritual. And we ask that you would bear up his wife, that she, too, may continue to provide strength for him when he's not feeling tip-top. We ask the same for Angie and her husband, Gene, and children, that as her healthcare team continues to attend with that which is afflicting her at this very moment that they would address her pain, and that they would come up with a plan that would not only ease her condition, but allow her to return to her home. We do our best healing at home, but we have to know what we're dealing with. So provide that consistency of care for Angie, and envelop her family. With a tranquility that allows them to accept and trust the process but to never stop pushing for those answers let our spirit and our resolve as a church meet both of these families where they are at may we continue to pray for those who are facing other illnesses and especially the illness the disease covid which continues to make its way through the world. We come to you just as we are. Some of us feeling absolutely just emboldened, hearing your gospel proclamation and feeling that you have given us new marching orders and for that we thank you. Some of us are just, we're just fatigued. We're tired of the old talking points where Tired of our dreary existence. We want so much of this to just go away. Wherever you find us today, this morning, Lord, will you hear our prayers? Please, just hear our prayers. Help us to unburden ourselves that we might not allow any impediment to afflict our ability to convey your gospel. So receive the prayers that we, your people, offer to you today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for receiving these, the prayers of your people. We know that you always have readiness for us. So let our prayers not stop at this space, but let us continue to be in conversation with you as you demonstrate the path that we are to follow and that you will continue to allow us to be powerful witnesses in a weary world. Remember us as we pray together. Our Father I invite you now to begin to open your communion packets as I read for us our affirmation of faith in our church covenant. And for those of you who have your home altars, this is the time for you to get your elements ready as well. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this sacrament that you have given us, because it reminds us once again of this great offering that you have provided for us, the opportunity for you to take on the burden of our sins and to redeem us before the eyes of God so we ask that as we partake of this meal, we feel not only absolved, but so much closer to you, and renewed, and blessed, and forgiven. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, blessed, divided it, and says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. celebrated the cup. He says, this cup is my blood, shed for the remission of sins. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we do claim the Lord's death until he comes again. We take the cup. God of glory, we are renewed and recharged. We've been reminded once again that it is not your desire to remember the sum total of mistakes and sins that we have committed. You keep no record of wrongs. That is not what you wish for us. But instead, in return, you restore us to fullness. You remind us once again that we are created beautiful in your image, filled with gifts. And you encourage us to share those gifts freely. So with this burden having been lifted from us, the burden of shame, the burden of unfinished projects, the burden of disappointed people, that we have left in our wake. We ask now that you would allow us once again to reconnect with our self-esteem, to depart from this sanctuary feeling as if somehow something truly has happened and that you were a part of it and that we continue to proclaim your goodness in the world. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Rise as you are able for our benediction. Receive this blessing. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May God keep you and guide you in peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.
1: Thanks
0: be to God. Amen.